Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey there, welcome to Where to Hunt podcast, uh, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. You almost botched it. Uh-huh. I swooped in and saved her. Pulled that had, joystick and we came out of that tail. You were overthinking it, weren't you? <laughs> it's like, where am I? Where, what do I do? What do I say? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the OKS podcast in the Midwest coming at you from the OKS Hunter podcast studio. And if you love the OKS Hunter and you've had OKS Hunter moments of field, you can totally relate to all of our shenanigans here and in the woods. Head on over to OKSHunter.com. Use code W2HPODCAST and save yourself 10%. Father's Day is coming up. Mm-hmm. Just saying. We got some fishing stuff, too, by the way. That we do. And I did get to try the Backwoods Grind Sunset Roast. And? Freshly ground this morning. Delightful. Delightful? Mm-hmm. It's almost a slap in the face. Oh, now, when you're waking up in the morning, it was just like, this is great. I feel awesome. So, very nice. Uh, head over to backwoodsgrind.com. Use code W2H podcast for 10% off. And all of this fun technology that you see here, the camera, how it's all wired in, our, our live broadcasting stuff, our call-in number, um, it's all brought to you by Spartan Forge. They're a data-driven deer predictability app currently with plenty more coming down the pike. So check those guys out at spartanforge.ai. You can use code W2H for 20% off. Good friends of ours over there. Make sure you give Bill some shit if you ever get on the phone with them. Uh, yeah, anyway. And then, obviously, we're cheering here, so... Drop Time Spirits, the 12-point bourbon is delicious. It also puts some hair on your chest if you're not ready for it. Well, the way you're running around with no shirt on, we can tell you drink plenty of it. Yeah, I can't run with the shirt on. You get that chafage on your nipples, it's no fun. It starts to really hurt. Now this went to another level of weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been running. I, I, I biked today. Yeah. The first time, and I learned that my bike doesn't shift gears, so I was riding a fixed bike or fixed gear bike mm-hmm. the whole time. So I got to get that figured out. There you go. We did some fishing. We did over the weekend with our friend Jeff. That was a good time. Mm-hmm. Caught my first walleye. Quite good. Pure happenstance. We we're yeah. fishing for pike, and a walleye decided to slam the the meps. Yeah, buddy. Which is cool. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Take what I can get over here. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I like that. Anyway, so we're ready to go here. I suppose. What's new with you? You got anything? Turkey season, final turkey season tomorrow. I got a tag, so I'm going to go out in the morning for the first couple hours before work and 
see if anybody's around. It's been pretty quiet back there, it sounds like. So we'll see. You might get two turkeys. You might not get two turkeys. I'll be happy to get with the, with the one I've got. So Okay. Well, that's good. You should be happy with the one you got. Mm-hmm. Like a nice bird. We do have a guest today joining us via phone. Uh, they're in a remote location, so video is going to be sketchy, so we just opted for the phone out of the gate. But joining us today is Joe Cruzy uh, with Big Woods Bucks. Joe, how you doing? There you are. Hey, Joe, can you hear me now? I got you. Cool. Maybe I never actually muted you. Can you hear me? So you, you stayed quiet <laughs> for, the, for that whole time. We can hear you great. Thank you. I would I would just listen to seventies poor music in the background. We've <laughs> <laughs> had some pretty raunchy starts lately. I don't know what's going uh, on. It was seventies porn music, isn't it? I ripped out a, a bush out of my front yard over the weekend and oh, I made the boy, mistake of asking where I can get rid of a bush. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought that over more before I posted that yeah. inquiry because I got a lot of goofy commentary back. My own fault, of course. But Anyway, welcome to the show. Tell us, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, what you got going on, where you're from, and we'll dive into a bunch of good stuff tonight. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm Joe Cruzy. I'm uh, with Big Woods Bucks up here in uh, northwestern Maine. Um, I, uh, I own Lake Parlin Lodge. Um, my wife and I operate that. Uh, we have been for about the last 12 years and we're, we're kind of the Northwoods main experience. We, um, do, uh, we're a big snowmobile destination in the winter. Uh, of course we're, we're on a lake, so we're typical summer, summer stuff. We do weddings and things, but of course, then we got hunting season as well. Um, and I guide for, for moose and whitetail and, uh, we do a, uh, I do a podcast with, with uh some other guys here we have um uh organization called big woods bucks where we we pretty much uh specialize just in sharing uh the stories and uh educational stuff about tracking in the big woods um which and we refer to big woods. It's, it's basically, I think similar to what you guys have in Wisconsin, which is just large tracks of it's private land owned by timber companies, but we have a, a huge swath of it here. So, um, it's, it's a big area. The deer, um, operate a little differently where they're kind of a migrating deer. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's what, basically what we do up here. Very cool. What made you decide to, get into what you're doing you know what made you decide yeah maybe we should just go up here and get involved with this lodge and yeah because you're from florida yeah well it was originally yeah it's uh right so um i grew up i i lived in in uh jackman maine which is just 10 miles north of where where uh, our lodge is um i lived there when i was real young my parents were from florida and moved up there and and uh were there for about 10 years but they uh they ended up going back to florida but had bought a camp in the area which is very close to where the lodge is and so in my childhood i lived in south florida but we'd come up on the you know summer vacation and christmas and 
that sort of thing. So I had a lot of roots to the area and the woods and stuff. So, um, you know, I grew up hunting in the Everglades, uh, pretty unconventional stuff, deer hunting off airboats and swamp buggies and that sort of thing. Hunting in the traditional styles of the South, which is with hounds and, and of course, you know, stand hunting and everything. And, um, I just knew that I didn't want to stay in South Florida, uh, especially when our kids, we had, uh, we have a son and a daughter that we knew we didn't want to raise down there. So we made the move in, uh, 2006 and headed North and just kind of laid down roots here and, um, started, uh, you know, started off, we, we weren't in the, the lodge business right away. That came, oh, four or five years after we moved here. But um, basically what happened was the property that we own is on the same lake where our camp is and became available. So it was kind of like combining uh, the things I really love to do, which was hunting and, and snowmobiling. Um, so uh, that's how, that's kind of how we ended up there. And it's just, grown and blossomed over time to where, um, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of moose hunts. I started off guiding moose hunts, um, first, which is, I absolutely just love doing. I mean, the, the moose game is a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, I had always kept November's kind of for myself as much as I could, but, um, I got, uh, got together with Hal Blood and, Chris Dalty from Big Woods Bucks about, oh, I think it's been about 10 years now, nine or 10 years. And um, we started doing some stuff together and, and they had already had Big Woods Bucks, had been going for five or six years anyway before that. And uh, Hal was a real successful outfitter up in, uh, in the Jackman area, had a business and he had sold and has since kind of got back into it. But so we operate Big Woods Outfitters out of the lodge uh, for the month of November. And we, we kind of specialize just in guiding, um, guiding uh, hunters, doing, you know, tracking. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a niche thing because there's only so many, so many places you can do it. You have to have, you know, big tracks of land and obviously early snowfall. So that rules out a lot of places right there and sure we're kind of the, the area to go to in the northeast absolutely i mean we we have falls um, during our seasons that we may not see snow until january and we've had some weird years where you don't get any hardly any snow at all yeah and, and maine is maine's got some drastic differences in climate uh between southern and northern maine and the mountains and in the coast so we're fortunate where we're at i mean we're not we're not real high altitude by any means but the lodge sits at 1700 feet and um our mountain peaks are 3700 feet the tallest one around they're not giant mountains but they're they're enough to wear you out um and uh you know when we're get lucky we we, the last few years we have where we get snow early, we can usually start off November with track and snow the first week. 
which is always a lot of fun. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. I mean, you mentioned, you heard one of our episodes, um, with Andre DeQuisto with uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. And obviously they're known for the kind of hang and hunt, run and gun, you know, mobile hunter setup where they're popping up tree stands and things of that nature. That's not going to work out by you. Can you explain that a little bit more? It would work. Well, yeah, but, not, but they don't, but they don't have to, if they've yeah, got there's snow. guys that are successful, sure. you know, it's, it's, and I've done a lot of, I bow hunt a lot and I've done a lot of stand hunting. I, and I love it all. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, tracking is kind of unique and I certainly prefer to track when we have the conditions, but, um, I've done a, a lot of, uh, stand hunting, uh, over the years as well. And the, the best way I can, I like to describe it is, uh, stand hunting, you do your work ahead of time. You do your scouting, all your homework, your setups, um, before you sit in the stand and you go out and you're, you sit in the stand and you're, you're basically waiting for it to happen. Whereas tracking, you go out in the morning, you find your track and now you're making it happen. Um, you know, you're, you're on, you're on the track, you know, there's a deer at the end of the track. Uh, you know, a lot of guys don't so much care for it because it's, it's physical, you know, you got to be in shape and you got to push yourself and it can be, you know, typical days are nine to 12, sometimes 13 miles of walking. And, you know, a lot of guys just don't care for it. They'd rather, they'd rather stand hunting. That's, that's great. But it's, um, that's the biggest difference. Um, I think is just when you're on the track, uh, it's, I think it's more suited for guys that don't have the patience, you know, uh, that's really a lot of the guys here that have grown up tracking, you know, if they sit and have their sandwich, that's about the most they want to sit during the day is, is having their lunch. So, um, it's, uh, it, it's definitely, um, less about preseason scouting and, and all that. I mean, you, you know, we, we still like to put out cameras, but it's mostly just to see what we can get on them more than using it, uh, as a tool, like you would, if you were setting a stand. Sure. So, I mean, the it, wind's got to be the, in your favor the, too. You're, you're, when you say you, you get on a track, you obviously look at the direction the tracks are going. There's a deer at the other end of it and you're making moves on that thing throughout the entire day. Um, what, I mean, what's that like when you finally get in range? Like, how are you, to me, it feels impossible to sneak up on a whitetail, which is why I like the, the whole sit thing and pretend you're not even there. But I love the aggressive style that you're talking about. And we've seen a lot of people you know, personalities have success with that. You know, if the wind's obviously going with the tracks, that's probably not going to work out. Right. So then you just keep going to find one that crosses that or, um, how- no, you, no, you find the track, you, you find the track that you want you don't worry about the wind. Um, you're obviously thinking about it if you're on the track and you know, it's, it's like we always talk about it's a day track and there's a day of a thousand decisions. You know, you're constantly trying to guess what the deer might do. You're trying to pick them out. You're, you're deciding whether to go, you know, over the log, under the log or around the log. You're, you're aging the track. You're looking at it, deciding if you want to even go after it or not. You know, that's your first decision you're making. So 
you know, it's, it's, it's a constant chess match um, is what it boils down to. And, and um, you know, you, once you, once you find a track um, that you want to take, which uh, you know, guys have different, different strategies on that. And I think everyone kind of uh, uses both strategies or a couple of different strategies, which is either drive around and look for a track uh, that crosses a road um, or just go to an area that, that, you know, you think is going to hold deer and you walk until you cross the track that you want. Um, sometimes that means picking up a, a track that might not be, um, the biggest track or, you know, you don't really think it's a, a, a monster buck, but you know, it's, it's a track and it, it typically they'll lead you to other deer. So you jump on that and follow it. And, and, uh, you know, as far as, as far as, as, uh, sneaking up on a deer, uh, you know, obviously that's the challenge is, is seeing him before he sees you, or at least, um, catching them where you can get a shot off. And, uh, probably that's, that's one of the big things that we hear a lot of guys that stand hunt or hunt differently is, you know, they want to wait for their perfect broadside shot, the deer standing there, you know, make sure you get it in the boiler room and, and kill it quickly. Well, we're obviously trying to get a good shot in, but you know, you, if you're not willing to shoot at a running deer, then you shouldn't track him is what it boils down to. Um, Absolutely. Because mo- most of the time you're going to be shooting at a running deer. You're going to do the best that you can to put a shot in the deer, obviously, and kill them quick. Um, it, it's a lot different having snow doing that as opposed to doing it on bare ground for obvious reasons. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that, and understandably so, you know, guys grow up, you want to make the most ethical shot and, and kill the deer quickly, which we all do. But with tracking, you don't always have that luxury, um, you know, to do that. Sometimes you do. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, it's just like you see on the videos where the, the deer stand a broadside and easy shot and whatever, but it's, not real typical, I wouldn't say. No, no. I mean, even here in our area, like I do a lot of walking through my public lands around my house and like, I know which areas just historically from bumping deer out of these areas. Like I know when I have to slow down and I have to really watch what I'm doing because deer will get up from another, you know, from a spot in that area and book it. And my window of opportunity is very nil so i better be ready i'm trying to make an ethical shot but when a deer is running through red rush and tag alders and cattails it's very hard to get a good shot so i don't i don't want to shoot at just a brown patch but i try to make sure that i'm at least hitting it forward but it doesn't always happen it's it's difficult thing to do well based on the the tracking too like you could be pretty far into the forest at that point and if you get something are you packing these things out are you gutting and dragging and i obviously i think with moose i know the answer and i'm i'm excited to get onto that too 
but you suddenly you're like, you know, shoulder deep into the forest and you've gone zigzagging all over the place. Are you using GPS so you don't get super turned around following deer tracks or are you just using a good old compass and you know, what, what's your kind of, what are your tools out there? Well, that, that's changed a lot. That's changed a lot over the years, obviously. And, you know, guys that have been doing it and there's Maine is loaded with really good woodsmen and good hunters. Um, just because, um, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to grow up in it, you know, where I was in the woods all the time, being that I was in South Florida, you know, it, it's, it's when you see kids that are brought up and, and, you know, men that are raised in Maine that, that their dads took them out at a young age and always had them in the woods. They, they definitely develop, um, woodsmanship and skills that, that help them with their navigation and everything. But, um, as far as tracking and worrying where we're at, I mean, I, I use my Onyx Hunt app, uh, for any of that. I, I download, you know, aerials from, uh, for areas that I'm going to. So I always have it in off grid mode and, um, I don't need cell service and I, it's, it's a great tool before that, you know, when GPS first came out, we'd carry a GPS. Um, and, and that was more, you know, I, we still always have a compass. Um, you generally can walk, um, in any direction, you know, you're, you're not going to go more than probably five or six miles typically before you hit a road. So, you know, getting lost is a lot more difficult nowadays than it used to be back before we had all the logging roads. It was, it was pretty common. Uh, and, and before we had GPSs, but nowadays, um, even though it, it, I think it still is intimidating to guys that come up that are new to it. Uh, it's, um, it's pretty easy now with, with what we have to work with. But, um, the only time when you're tracking that you're using that is to maybe look and see if you can figure out where that deer is going, what he might be headed for, or, or maybe you look on there and you see if there's a cut, you know, up ahead that you, you know, if you think you're close to them, that you might catch them crossing something like that. Um, but typically it's, uh, you know, you kill a deer, uh, they're all, all the deer are cut and dragged out. No one that I know ever cuts them up because here in the Northeast and especially Maine, it's a, um, it's kind of a big thing to take them to the tagging station to weigh them. Um, so everyone wants their, their deer to come out whole anyway. Um, and, and we have what's called a 200 pound club. So, you know, that magic number for traditionally for guys here in Maine is to have a, you know, to kill a buck that dresses over 200 pounds. Um, and, and it's more about the, it's more about the body weight kind of than it is the, uh, size of the rack because, you know, we don't have, we have some nice rack bucks in Maine, obviously some real good ones, but it's not like out where you guys are, where, uh, the deer eating in the farm fields all the time and getting all that good nutrition. Yeah. Hopefully you got a taxidermist they're, that has mounts that, growing. that reflect that size. I, I've heard you know, some of these taxidermists where they get their, their foam from or whatever their, their molds, you, know, you get, you can get like a really dinky looking deer and it's like, well, wait a second, this thing's huge, you know? 200 pound deer. I mean, geez, I'm 205. Grab my hand and start dragging me through the woods. Good luck. Holy crap, you guys. That's nuts. 
That's a big, that's a lot of dead weight. Yeah, it can be. I mean, yeah, it, it is. But, you know, typically you're dragging on snow, which makes it a little bit easier. Uh, you hope that it's in a spot that if you have to, you can come back in with a snowmobile and, and use that to help you. So, you know, I, I think typically the most guys are dragging is a couple miles. Sure. Um, which is not, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that's super easy, but it's, it's not a, a huge deal unless you got to go up over a mountain. Um, yeah. a couple miles on, you on can any... usually go down and, and get to a logging road. Sure. Yeah. And a non manicured path, a couple miles on uneven terrain is hefty. I mean, I thought my lungs were going to collapse last season, dragging a buck a quarter or half a mile, wherever the hell it was through cattails and, and whatever that canary grass crap is where you get your hip flexors start to kill you. Cause you're lifting your feet up so high. So you don't trip that stuff's rough. Um, right. Yeah, different yeah, world, different like, world up at you guys. It, you it know, sounds fun. I always look at it where it's the least, it's the least, you, killing the buck's the hard part. Get them on the ground, you know? I mean, uh, the drag is the drag. Wherever it is, I always look at it like, we'll get them out. I kind of do the same thing, moose hunting. Um, you know, a lot of guys worry about how far back they kill a moose or how far from the road because it, for years it was um, – it just kind of, you know, the normal thing to do is, is guys would just hunt the roads here in their trucks and, you know, drive the logging roads and kill the moose close to the road so they can either, you know, winch them out from the truck or, you know, it, it's a lot easier. And, and kind of the same thing as a deer. A lot of guys don't want to cut their moose up because they want to weigh it. But we, we cut a lot of moose up and pack them out um, just because that's the, the quickest, easiest, most efficient way to get them out of the woods when they're back in you know, back in a ways and moose hunting in Maine has changed a lot in the last say 10 or 15 years where the moose are, we have less of them because of winter ticks and they're, they're a little bit tougher to kill now. Um, so you do have to get back in the woods and get away from the roads where, where all the traffic is. When do you start moose hunting? Uh, our first season is, uh, the last week in September. We have, we have base three, four different seasons, really. We have the two big ones are, uh, the, uh, two bull hunts, which there's one the last week of September and one the second week of October. And they're basically just broken up into different zones in the state. Um, so we're always hunting those two weeks. And then, uh, we have a cow hunt the third week of October, which, um, I don't usually do a lot of that because it's getting so close to deer season, but I did a, a cow hunt last year. I guided one. Um, and then there's a, for other zones of the state, there's a little bit of it in November, but I've never messed around with that at all. But, but the two big weeks are September and October. Is it easy to get a, and it, a and cow tag? Uh, I'm sorry, say again? Are, are cow tags easily attainable versus a bull tag? Um, this year, yes, they started a new, uh, there, we have a lot of stuff going on with our moose herd here in Maine right now. Um, because of the winter ticks, there's a lot of, um, differing opinions on what the best way to, to handle the moose herd is. There's a lot of people that want to cancel the hunt because we're, they're not seeing as many of them on the road and it's important to tourism. Uh, you know, it's, 
in my, that's nonsense in my opinion, because we have a, our moose herd is a lot less than what it used to be, but I believe it's still healthy. Can blame cheers um, for that, huh? Yeah. The winter ticks. Yeah. Which <laughs> are, with are the tourism. Specific. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No, no I haven't heard of that. What's no, that? I, I'm, I was talking about the tourism that what's that oh, show yeah. cheers with the moose comes in the beginning or whatever. I think that was in Maine where that took place. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, whatever. I thought it was somewhere up there. But no, yeah, the winter ticks. What what's going on with that? I don't. We don't have that here, that I'm aware of. That'd be yeah. Terrible. No, they're a, they're a tick that um, they only host on they they have to have a moose to host. So they get on the moose in the fall, and they they feed on them all winter. And a oh, moose will God. get thousands of these ticks on them, um, that just stay on all winter long. And what it does, it just it makes the moose anemic, and you know the the young calves and. Uh, some of the cows succumb to it, especially in a tough winter. Uh, they just don't have the strength to fight what they normally have to fight with the cold and the elements. Mm. Um, and even like this winter where it was a real mild winter, um, you know, we had some die off from it. So, uh, what they're, what they're going to try and do, they're, they're experimenting with one of our zones that has a high population of moose. They're going to, split it in half and they're going to issue a pile of cow permits and in one half of it, they're going to knock the herd down. Uh, the theory being that if they knock the host down, then the ticks will die off as well. Mm. Um, it, because there's really no good effective way to kill the ticks. No. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, we never had the ticks before that they're, they're a recent problem. A lot of people, um, you know, are blaming warming, which I think is part of it for sure, because sure. Uh, the, the ticks, when they drop on, when they drop off the moose in the spring, if they fall on bare ground, they lay their eggs. If they fall on snow, um, they don't survive nearly as well. It, it puts a hurting on them. So last year we had snow late. So it was a good year, you know, for, killing off ticks somewhat but but this year not so much we we were done with our snow in early april which is pretty rare Mm. um and uh so i'm we're expecting an explosive uh moose tick uh season this year but um you know we'll just have to see where it goes do you think those areas also have a pretty high population of whitetail the only reason i ask is like i know some areas don't in my area here that because there is such a high population of whitetail hosts, um, there's a huge population of ticks. Like you can't even walk through someone's yard without getting several wood ticks on you or even a deer tick for that matter. I mean, there's, there's a difference in the species. Obviously the deer ticks are smaller and they're a bit more potent. And then you have the, the worry of Lone Star ticks too, which that's a whole nother topic altogether but do you think that's something that's happening in in your area well no because uh there's not a large deer population uh at all in fact where the area where we have the most moose or it's actually the fewest amount of deer in the state um mostly because their their wintering yards were wiped out um years ago so they've had a hard time and then in the, like the North, uh, North main woods area, the deer have had a hard time up there, um, making a comeback, but 
the tick situation, the, the wood tick and the deer tick um, are a bit different. And, and from what I understand, I'm certainly no expert on, on the, the moose ticks, but from, from what I've heard from the biologist is that the moose ticks don't affect the deer because um, they groom themselves mm. and they, they eat them off and the, uh, the moose don't. The moose will just rub against trees trying to get rid of them and try to get rid of them you know, trying to get rid of the ticks and they'll just rub all their, all their hide off their fur. And, and they've got no protection against the cold because of that. Um, so yeah, the, the, the ticks, we, we have actually, we have a terrible tick population, um, in the central to Southern part of the state, uh, same as you, I would assume where it's the, the wood ticks and the deer ticks. And, um, you know, it's the same story. We have a large deer herd, in this part of the state, there's a lot of turkeys now, a lot of debate about what role the turkeys play with the ticks. But, um, unfortunately the deer and the wood ticks are moving North as well. So we'll be dealing with them up, up in the Northwoods, I'm sure in the not too distant future. Certainly. That's rough to hear about. I mean, I don't know. I was doing research on ticks a couple of weeks back because we got like 30 of them on us on a family hike and you know, my kids got them on our dog and the things just, they're just hard to kill. Nasty, isn't it? Yeah, they're just, man. They're, they're, they're disgusting. <laughs> carry, carry a lighter with you and, and some uh, toilet paper, wrap them in toilet paper and burn them till they pop. Just, yeah, man, brutal, brutal freaking things. They'll live, what I researched, they'll live underwater for up to two days. They can live unfed for two years can't squish them like what the heck yeah yeah i know it's like a challenge to get one with your fingernail and kill it It, (laughs) they just keep living but a lot of guys i read a lot of stuff whenever things come out about the ticks and um a lot of guys in 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 our area because i mean there was just there was never ticks uh, in maine you know when when i was younger growing up and i mean it just it wasn't an issue at all it's only been the last say 10 or 15 years that it's been a real problem. Um, a lot of guys think it's because we don't spray anymore. You know, they used to spray for different stuff in the forest. And, um, that was probably, you know, it was probably one of the things killing the ticks, but I would guess that they'd have some opposition to taking a plane up and spraying <laughs> again. Right. right. So, you know, and, until they come up, until they come up with, uh, um, some way i mean there's there's people that want to let loose guinea hens all over the state to eat them (laughs) and you know i don't think that would be effective i mean who knows where it's going to go but it certainly is an issue everywhere it sounds like fascinating so um you said you guys do pack out your moose but a lot of people don't because they want to weigh them also um you're following the same kind of approach that we just talked about for whitetail and doing that with moose as well. Yes. Yep. So picking up a moose track's got to um, you know, where it's just. So yeah, I was gonna say picking up a moose track's oh, got to oh, be oh, harder. Killing the moose? No. Oh no 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 not not tracking them. Uh, no, we don't. It's it's rare that we have tracking snow for moose season. We we had a a couple times, um, and I actually years ago I did uh, track one, but it was just a. Um, it was an outlier. It wasn't something that you do very often, but, uh, no moose, moose hunting is all, uh, um, what we do is, is call them in. So you're, 
you're calling, you're, you know, using a cow call and bull grunts and raking trees and stuff to call the moose. And that's the, that's the way that typically, you know, when guys come to hunt moose, that's what they want to do because it's the excitement and the rush of, of calling them in. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. That sounds like, I mean, it's a huge animal. I just, you know, I've been, we've been talking about hunting elk a lot, uh, over here and, you know, I have a third child on the way. So that put the botch on it for, for or the kibosh on it for this year. Um, who knows if next year will be the, the year that that can happen or not, but moose is a whole other one where it's like, it's just such a rare sight for us here in Wisconsin. It's such a giant majestic animal. Um, I mean, Greg asking about, is it easy to get a cow tag? Because just it, the meat's got to be so damn good. Like, do you prefer moose over venison? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's in, in my opinion, it, moose is real close to beef. It's just, it's just much leaner. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, moose meat, you'll find uh, that, you know, a lot of times people that don't like venison, everyone always says it's gamey or whatever, you know, but people that don't like whatever that flavor is, they don't like with deer meat. Uh, they don't get it with moose and they, they seem to prefer moose, you know, over it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely when you, when you get a moose, it's, you got meat for a long time. I mean, typically, you know, it obviously depends on how much you eat, but you know, it's going to last three years. Oh my God. Uh, if you don't give it all away. Holy crap. What's your favorite um, recipe you know, with moose? Uh, my wife, uh, typically in the winter months, we eat the most of it. And it's, it's usually, uh, in a crock pot with mashed potatoes and that's about as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's a great way to cook it. Um, it's, you know, um, all the recipes that you do with beef are, you know, things that you just substitute it. Yep. Substitute we do a lot of, for beef. you know, take the, cause you end up with a lot of ground, ground moose meat also, which, you know, you mix with a little bit of pork and, um, you know, we use it, she'll, she'll make lasagnas with it and stuff like that and use the moose instead of beef. And it's great. You big on grilled burgers there. Um, oh Yeah. I mean, who's not? <laughs> yeah. It's tough to beat. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we did, uh, I did a trip last September. We're actually going again this year. Not, not the same group, but my, my buddy and I from, uh, he's been my best friend since high school. We grew up hunting together. He lives down in Tennessee. We did a, a trip to Alaska this past September. We did a do it yourself, uh, moose hunt. We just, it was like a drop camp hunt where we got flown in and dropped off. And, you know, it was a different, I thought we were remote here in Maine until I did that. (laughs) It gives you a different perspective when you, when you get dropped off out there. But as far as handling the moose, you know, you were, you were asking about the packing and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a much bigger animal out there and it's a job. Um, you know, because you don't necessarily have to pack them a long way, but it's such tough walking out there. Um, and Alaska is very strict with with their laws, which is is really good. Where you can't, I mean, you don't leave 
a fistful of meat on the, the carcass. Everything comes out. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a challenging hunt just to do the hunt itself, but getting the meat out is, is, I mean, it's part of the adventure. No so, doubt. I mean, you get to be taking it, several a, trips with two dudes and an animal that size. It's like, it's like packing out a cow. <laughs> it's, it's bigger than taller than for sure. Bigger than for sure. My yeah. Gosh. And, and you got to contend with yeah, the predation up there surprised. too. Isn't, isn't like the gunshot, the dinner bell for some of those animals. Yeah, they, they say that that was definitely a concern of ours. Cause we don't deal with anything like that here. So, I mean, everyone that goes to Alaska hunting, you know, you, you're thinking of the bears and we had our sidearms, you know, we both were carrying pistols and everything. And, um, we're, it was definitely, um, uh, when we first got there, we were a little more nervous and, you know, any kind of thick cover that we went into, you're constantly looking around and after 10 or 12 days in the woods, you are a little less like that. You kind of get used to a little bit more and you still want to stay alert. I mean, when, when we were cutting the moose up and packing it, we always were together. Um, you know, we never separated, um, you know, just, just be aware and pay attention because you are, you know, you get caught up in the excitement and you got your moose on the ground and everyone's happy and stuff. And you just don't want to lose sight of what can happen out there, you know? So you just be smart and pay attention and you're all right. Yeah. My old, my old neighbor, when I was single in an apartment, he lived below me. Um, he went to Alaska and he did a DIY with his buddy and he came back and a cast, uh, because a bear, when they went back to get their meat, they had a four wheeler and four wheeler had a small trailer on it. So they loaded the meat in the trailer. He's older and he's driving on the four wheeler and along comes a bear and runs right alongside of him and bashes into the side of him, flipped his ATV. And then he broke a couple bones wow. in his leg. So he broke, I don't even remember what bone it was, but he's been around for quite some time. And that was the story. I was like, what? A bear chased you down in your four-wheeler? Like, that's insane. Um, just to, I mean, yeah, gosh, you get him on the show. He's got, he's got stories for days. He, he's aged, uh, I think pretty well for an old man, but he's, he's, he's been around the block over there. That was his, that was his jam. Um, so yeah, you hear stuff like that and you're like, no way. You know, no way. But then in the back of my mind, like, oh my gosh, what if that happens? Or something like that. Bears meat business. Well, there was a story. Uh, when we got, right after we got back this year, uh, we were there from, it was, it's basically the first season. Uh, it, you know, the, the units out there have all different dates, but ours was, is the 5th to the 15th of September. So we had just got back and there was a story of two guys. I think they were from Ohio um, that, uh, killed a moose and they were packing it. And from what I understood reading the story, they, they separated. And, uh, one of the guys was hauling the meat back to their camp and he's the one that had a gun. The guy that was back with the moose didn't have a gun. And, uh, the, the guy that had packed to the camp came back and the bear charged him. And, uh, he, he went back to the, where the moose was and, uh, his buddy was dead. So he was, he was mauled and killed oh my uh, this past season. Yeah. Just, so yeah, it's, de- it's definitely nothing to mess around with, but 
you know, I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things you deal with is it's part of being in the woods and you make a decision that that's what you want to do. So you just take your precautions and, and, uh, move along. I'll never not have a sidearm after hearing you say that. If, if that's something I ever even embark on. I wouldn't either. No chance. Yeah. I had mine on my chest all the time. I mean, everything I did, I had a gun there just because, I mean, it's just, why wouldn't you? What caliber were you packing? You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, 454 Casol. Oh, I yeah. got the, the Ruger Alaskan. Sure. Um, it's a nice pistol. Which, you know, that's, that, that was like one of, you know, a hundred decisions that you got to make when you're, planning being that not me that one of us had ever gone out in Alaska before being first time out there, you know, you, you listen to and watch everything that you can. Um, he carried a, a 10 millimeter lock yep, semi-auto. That's another uh, one. You can get a few rounds you know, off. With, right. Yeah. That's kind of the, the, the thinking on it is you have a few more to throw out. It, you know, everyone's got their opinion on, um, on what's the best, sidearm for out there i tried to read as much as i could give me two what you have and, man i'm and, going double fisting like. <laughs> i'm just gonna like light it up man oh no, the 10 mils got plenty of punch <laughs> i mean that's that's what the fbi started and secret service started carrying and then some guys didn't like the recoil of the 10 mil so they they downsized to the 40 smith and wesson or 40 short and weak they call it so same size bullet just not as much powder and then there's other guys that they're fine with a 44 or 454 Casal. Those are, you know, those are the big players, the big hammers that they, they pull out. Yeah. The, and the, you know, the recoil, um, the, the, at least the one I have, the, the Alaskan, it's, it's such a heavy pistol. The recoil is not bad at all. No. Um, I shot a lot with it before I went last summer and I thought it was going to be, you know, cause you can shoot uh 45 long Colt out of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cheaper and, and less recoil. But for me, I think that, you know, you practice what you're going to carry because that's what it's going to be like when you shoot it. So, sure. um, you know, I shot a lot of rounds last summer and, uh, and now I've got it, you know, for this, this year's trip, I've got everything. So it's easy, you know, have everything ready to go. It's pretty cool. Now, you know, Maine's desolate. Alaskans, yep. Alaska's more desolate. Uh, were you bring anything for like GPS tracking? There's a product I've seen uh, Aaron Snyder talk about, or like you know people are asking him if he's using it. The I don't know how to say it. It's like Zolio Life, um, Z O L E O. It's like uh, this little thing that you know helps others know where you are and that you're safe. And if you need to make a call or a text or whatever, that you can do that. So it's kind of like a satellite phone, but it, this is like more like a. Yep a pager that can accommodate that or something. Are you bringing things like that out with you too? Yes. I, we all actually use, um, Delorme. Well, and they, they were started with Delorme. That was a company from Maine, but now it's Garmin owns it, but it's the Garmin inReach. Yeah. In-reach. Um, the inReach is a satellite messenger that you can pair with your phone and you send text messages or you can send preset messages, um, you know, unlimited preset messages and, uh, it's got an emergency function on it. So you just hit the SOS button and, um, it, uh, you know, automatic, you know, within five minutes, they've got your location and the rescue crews are on the way. And I, I actually carry that, uh, anytime I'm in the woods 
here in Maine even, uh, because we have so much area that doesn't have cell coverage, um, that, you know, it's not just for life or death things, but, you know, you get stuck bad or you break down and it's, you know, 25 or 30 mile walk out. It's nice to just hit that and have a buddy come get you. Yeah. And so if it, your wife's anything to me, like my to wife, me it's, oh. it's absolutely essential. Sure. And if your wife's anything like my wife, uh, you need to be able to relay some information if you're running late or having an issue. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, uh, and I use it all the time. It's got the preset on there. It's, uh, you know, just checking in, you just hit it and you hit one button and it sends it out and you don't have to worry about it. So that's, that's a major reason for it as well. Yeah. That's a, that's pretty useful stuff to, to consider and think about. Um, Different, different world, you know, and the, the Northwoods here in Wisconsin, the Nicolay, I don't know what they have in Michigan. I know there's a big, big Northwoods over there too. Um, I don't know what their area is called. I know ours. Well, one of the well-known ones in Michigan is, is, is the pigeon. Okay. I just mentioned Michigan, but the pigeon river forest, but the, Maine, he, he was just saying that you're mostly, you're mostly paper company. Do you have, you, you must have some national forest too. Like we do, we get the Nicolay and the Shawamigan that intermingles in along with some of the state forests too, that intermingle in with all these large tracts of paper company land. Yeah, it's, it's pretty unique here. What we don't have Maine is uh, 99% uh, private land. Um, wow. So we have Acadia national park, which you mm. can't hunt in. Nope. It's not, I mean, it, it, it's a sizable piece, but it's not, it's not that big, but, um, then we have Baxter state park, which you can't hunt in. Um, and other than that, there's really not a lot of, uh, public land because you don't really need it. Um, it's changing a little bit, uh, nowadays, but Maine has traditionally been, um, the law is if the, if the land is not posted, you can legally hunt it. In other words, the onus is on the landowner to keep people off. So it's, uh, it's just kind of an expected thing that, you know, people that grow up in it never even worry about having land to hunt on in the Northwoods because it's vast woods that everyone can go to. And there's not, um, you know, I, I was listening to some of your guys' stuff and the battle basically on public lands with the number of hunters and bumping into people and that sort of thing. And it's, I won't say it's non-existent, but I could count on one hand the number of hunters that I bumped into in the woods in the last 15 years. Holy freaking um, crap. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're tracking, if you're on a deer track and it's just super rare. And, and I tell guys that, you know, we'll have guys that come, uh, stay at the lodge and hunt and, um, they'll ask about places to go and, you know, where they're not going to bump in anyone and I'll send them off somewhere. And, you know, wouldn't you know, they'll see two people that day or something. Uh, but typically it just isn't an issue at all where we hunt. It's, it's pretty, um, uncommon to bump into people. That's fascinating. And, and the, the landowners, these, you know, paper companies and such, they're not worried about like, legal recourse and, and things of that nature with insurance claims. If someone gets hurt somewhere in their tract or something like that, so they don't 
feel the need to post it and nope, it's there's, kind of there's landowner yeah there's landowner protection in maine where the the unless it's a um deliberate uh or you know uh negligence then the landowner can't be sued and and we have those laws because um it's not just hunting, it's snowmobiling. We have 13,000 miles of snowmobile trails of groom trails in the state. And, you know, we're the most popular destination in the Northeast for snowmobiling. So if we didn't have that relationship with the landowners where they weren't held responsible, everything would be closed off and there wouldn't be any access. But because we have the laws that we do um, and we have uh, cheap uh, tree growth taxes, for the big landowners. So it makes it easier for them to carry the land. It's, you know, it keeps it open. They don't have to, they're obviously trying to maximize their property with, you know, the wood cutting and other things they do, but um, their carry costs are cheaper. So, um, you know, keeping it open, it, it's kind of a, an, an unwritten rule, you know, people support the paper companies and let them do their thing. And in return, everyone gets to use the land. It's a cool setup. Sounds like it's working out. So well. it's, yeah, it's, not, it's, it's kind of a nice relationship. I mean, you know, you get bumps in the roads here and there like anything else, but, um, you know, we have in the North main woods is the largest tract of land east of the Mississippi without paved roads. And if you look at it, like in a, a satellite picture at nighttime where you see all the lights all over the country, there's a giant black spot in northwestern maine and and that's where we are sounds like my kind of place there's some discovery channel shows that exist up there i think like some of the folks that i don't know what the hell the show is called but you know living in the middle of nowhere is the show not that one no it's like you know they'll like oh now we're in alaska and we're following this one nomad dude and oh back when we're back in maine following this other nomad dude he's just in the middle of nowhere living right right you know it's all scripted bullshit anyway I don't know. I'm a believer. It, it's all what? It's all scripted bullshit if it's on Discovery Channel. I got a story I can share about that later. Uh, it sounds like Greg's got a grudge. There's a, there's a content <laughs> Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, it, it's interesting talking to when we were out there last year and, and talking to uh, Alaskans about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the shows, it, the, uh, the only one that got a lot of respect was... Uh, um, the last Alaskans, hmm. yeah, and that that was a pretty good one. But, um, but yeah, I agree with you. A lot of scripted stuff. Yep. So your deer season. So, so you guys. Yep. If you don't mind, I'm going to just ask a couple of selfish questions. You guys get one deer tag for the year, or do you get a bow tag and a and a rifle tag? How does that work? Um, typically you buy your license, you get one, one buck tag. Okay. Uh, or, uh, we have, we have an any deer system where, uh, you can put in and this year, there's a a lot of any deer permits available, but that's more for the central to Southern half of the state. Sure. Um, up in the, up where the lodge is and where we, uh, do most of our hunting, there's very few doe tags up there because the population is a lot less and it's only one deer up there, no matter what. Uh, some areas of the state where we have high populations, they have what's called the expanded zone, which is archery only. Um, and I mean, they have a system where basically you get, 
like one buck tag and limitless doe tags. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just keep buying them. So uh, there are opportunities, but, but the expanded areas is, you know, it's a lot harder to find those areas to get access to them. It's a lot of private land, um, Small that tracks. sort of thing. So we, we, we basically just rely on our one deer. A lot of guys that like to track will get their deer in Maine. Then they'll go over to New Hampshire, maybe get a deer there. They can track in Vermont. They can track in upstate New York. So that's kind of what, what guys do. A lot of guys used to head out to uh, Ontario, um, southern Ontario, where oh, 20 years ago, um, up until about, I think it was probably about 10 years ago when they had the big die-off. But the tracking out there was, was phenomenal. Um, so a lot of guys would head out there if they, you know, tagged out here, but, but typically, yeah, it's, it's one deer and you're done. Fair enough. But, but it's enough, it's enough of a challenge though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's (laughs) a 200 pound deer. uh, You know, it's, it's tracking deer is in, in today's hunting world. And it's been going on for a long time. People get, you know uh caught up with they have their um their their trail cam pictures of their buck and they'll have their their number one target buck or it's that sort of thing isn't really part of tracking um you don't typically have any idea what he has for a rack uh unless you're reading the sign and seeing where he's walking think he has a wide rack because he's walking around trees that are close together or something but that's about as much as you get until you finally lays up lay eyes on him it's it's pretty rare that you would kill a deer tracking them that you know you knew what deer it was sure makes sense such a different approach it sounds it sounds fun i mean like these different approaches i feel like would just round you out as a hunter in terms of you know your experience and expertise and knowledge and it all kind of can work together and culminate it would be fun to to try that i would i would welcome that style as a as a one-off or a couple of time thing to see how it goes because it sounds really fun to me you guys should come check it out at the very least you know one time and and see how you like it i mean it's a um it's extremely challenging way to hunt Mm -hmm. if you kill any buck it's an accomplishment that you should be very proud of. Um, it's not, um, you know, it, it, it's just, um, a lot different than the typical deer hunting that we all see, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a mental game all the time. Um, you're battling the weather all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a challenge. It's a, it's a fun challenge. Yeah. We didn't even get into like the type of like clothes you would need for that. If it's super cold out, but you're also hiking all the time and moving, you got to have something that's going to wick away all that sweat. But when you finally stop, you're going to have to, yeah, that that's like for us, we'll, we'll hike in light and then we'll pack on once we get set up. So you, you're having, you're heading in and you're getting all hot and sweated up or whatever you're doing. And then you're, you know, either exchanging out or layering up as you get settled. So you're not feeling cold and wet. Um, that's, you don't have that luxury doing that. So that's a whole nother topic in and of itself. 
Yeah, that, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that guys that, that are, you know, first time trackers make is, is they dress too heavy. Um, they don't realize how hot they're going to get walking. Um, we, we all wear wool. That's like the thing that everyone wears here. It's, it's the best thing to wear for tracking, uh, just because it, it does keep you warm, repels the water. You don't get wet with it. Um, if it does get wet, it's still warm. Um, it's quiet. There's nothing quieter. Um, I actually tried on one of the warmer days this year. I, I tried, uh, using my, I've got a lot of Kuyu gear and I tried some Kuyu pants, um, uh, while I was tracking and that lasted a very short time just because they're not quiet. You know, when you walk your little things like your, um, you know, down around your boots, pants rubbing together there, they make just a little bit of noise, but you know, you can't make any noise. Right. Um, polyester blend. So yeah, the, 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 the clothing is, is really important in the tracking game. You know, you don't want to dress too heavy, but you got to be warm and quiet. Pr- pretty much like the, the same kind of setup. I mean, you see it uh, with the, the UP guys in Michigan, because they're, I think they're kind of hunting the same way up that way in the Northwoods up there, the old traditional, it, it's kind of the Northeast is green and black check, but, you know, you see a lot of red and black check jackets out there. Right. It's cool. Well, why don't you share with us, you know, in the beginning I asked uh, for a memorable hunt, but I also said, well, if you got an OKS moment, we'll take that too. And it sounds like you get a few more of those. You got an OKS hunter moment <laughs> that you're willing to share with us here? Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of OK, mediocre, average moments. Um, so, you know, I, I think I touched on earlier, I said we don't use trail cameras very much here, just um, – it's kind of more for fun to see what's running around. And, uh, I was tracking this. I came across this track, so I took it. It was a real nice buck track and I tracked him for not very far. And he, he, uh, he happened to walk by, which in the, in the big woods, it's, um, would be really, really uncommon to have a trail camera and find a buck track and that buck would go in front of your camera, but that's exactly what happened. So I'm tracking this deer. I see that he walks in front of my camera. So it was early in the day and I was close enough to the truck where I could take the card back. And I had a reader there that I could actually look and see what was on it. So I take a look at it and, uh, the buck had passed by the camera four hours before beautiful buck, big rack, um, big body. So I took off after him and, uh, kind of had an idea where he was headed to when he was going uphill. It was, you know, the time of day I figured he was going up to bed and, uh, you know, I, I tracked him to his bed. I came up to his bed, um, looked around for his tracks leading out and I turned to my right and there's a deer standing there looking at me at 75 yards, pretty much out in the wide open. And there was just a few, so a, a little bit of brush where sometimes when a deer is perfectly motionless, when they're looking dead on at you, 
if there's any kind of brush, it's hard to see what there is for a rack, if any rack at all. So I'm looking, trying to tell what it is. And in my mind, not even thinking it's the deer that I just spent the morning tracking. And uh, so I'm, I'm pulling up my binoculars, trying to look real close and I've got water in them and I'm <clears throat> trying to figure out whether this is even a buck or not. And he, about that time he turned his head and it was a beautiful, you know, big rack buck. And, uh, I pulled up and just completely musked it 75 yards on a, on a giant deer, you know, and that was a hard one to swallow because my daughter shot a buck that same day on her own. And, and all I could think about is how great it would have been for both of us to connect on the same day and have that moment, you know, and dad was the one that didn't come through. <laughs> Better you than her, I suppose. So that, that, that was one of the more painful ones just because of how it all happened. So what do you think you did? Um, what do you, in retrospect, what do you think happened? I rushed it. I just, I, I, uh, I rushed it. Didn't take my time. I had no reason to rush it. I had a, I had to keep sight. Um, everyone up here, or, you know, most everyone, the gun of choice is a Remington pump. That's kind of like the deer trackers gun. And a lot of guys, most of the guys that I know, um, that I hunt with all run peep sites because you don't have to deal with the snow and all that. Um, that was the last time I hunted with a peep site because I realized that, um, I'm a scope guy and I was, I was forcing it, you know, just, uh, because it is nice not dealing with the snow and everything, uh, with a scope, but, uh, you know, it just, um, rushed it and, uh, blew it which, you know, it certainly isn't the only time I've blown it. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've missed a lot more than that, but that was probably one of the most painful just because of the type of deer it was and the circumstances. And I worked so hard and I did it, you know, when you're tracking, you're, you're basically out there all day trying to make the right moves and make the right decisions. I made every decision exactly right, right up until the last one. And so every decision before then didn't matter because I didn't close the deal, but it was, a, it was a fun day still. Yeah. It's still in my mind that, that does got, that has to hurt and be painful, but that's still a pretty large or big success to like have laid eyes on them and, and caught up with them. And you know, like you said, you made every other decision correctly. So at least kind of confirms a lot of like your decision-making abilities while you're out there. And so it, hopefully that's replicable and, you know, next opportunity you got, you'll, hopefully be better off. You know, I made a weird mistake last year. It was a first time I've experienced this, so I'll never do it again. It's how you learn things. The the hard way is the best way in some cases, painful way, but I had my uh, rifle on gun sitting like on my lap as I sit on the ground, but it's in between my lap and my hand warmer muff, which has got hand warmers in it. So it's sitting there for who knows how long. And finally some deer stroll up and I pull up my gun and I go to look through my scope and it's completely fogged up. So luckily mm-hmm. there's enough time for these deer to like settle into the area that they had gotten scared out of and into my range. 
where they had no idea I was there. The wind was in my favor and stuff and it unfogged up, but then it created a panic in me because I'm like, Oh shit, is this thing going to unfog in time for me to shoot? I can't see, I literally can't see anything. And I only had the scope, so I didn't have an over under and yeah, it was a, uh, it was a moment where I was like, well, never again am I going to sit here with my gun like that uh, underneath my muff because a foggy lens isn't going to do any good. You know, you might but, not have a, that long of a, t- a chance. To the on the only way bigger. to learn is by making a mistake. A lot of the times, yep. you know, and that goes a lot, you know, that goes along with everything and especially hunting. I think it's magnified so, in hunting for sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, but you know, it, it's, uh, we've actually got, um, uh, one of the guys that he, he did a, was on our podcast last week or the week, a couple weeks ago anyway, that, um, he's gone with Hal's guided him the last couple of years for a week. It's, uh, he's, he's from Wisconsin also. And, uh, he makes the trek out every year. He's coming back this year. Um, I believe he just heard about tracking on the podcast and just, you know, was intrigued by it and came and checked it out. He's hooked now. He comes, comes every season. Cool. How many guys can you guide in a season? Like how many clients or whatever? do you guys take on? Um, we've got about, uh, so we do, um, fully guided hunts, uh, which are, um, really popular. Uh, we do four weeks of it. So we have fully guided hunts and we have American plan, which is you come, you get your lodging and your meals, but no guiding. And then we have just the lodging where you come and do your own thing and do your own meals and stuff. Um, so each week, uh, you know, we sleep, we sleep about, uh, 50 people on property. Uh, but you know, we don't have that many. We usually have, I would say 20 guys each week, um, between all the, the hunts, you know, some weeks that the earlier weeks, it's, um, it's probably busier with the guiding because, um, we just have more guides those weeks. So, you know, there's typically, I think six guided hunts the first couple of weeks. Um, and then after that, there's usually, Oh, four or five. And then the rest will be American plan and, and, uh, or they just come and get their own lodging, do their own food. Sounds awesome. Honestly. Yeah. To get away yeah. to the main. Yeah, it's a great time. And, and it's not, you know, it, it's not for guys that um, want to come see deer every day and, you know, guaranteed shot opportunity. I mean, there's there's weeks where, um, you know, if it's a tough week, very few people even see deer that week, let alone get a shot at one. So sounds familiar. Uh, you just kind of have to know what you're coming for and, and and, you know, what you're in for. But. Every year, you know, guys come back for the punishment for <laughs> some reason. It's a, it's a different variety of deer camp. And, you know, a lot of us here in Wisconsin that are used to doing a traditional North, North Woods deer camp, and we're talking way north, it, it's not much different. I mean, you, you might get one or two shot opportunities if you're lucky. You might see four deer during the nine-day gun season up there. So it's really not too out of out of normal from from that kind of experience yeah so my favorite things hunting the north woods i I didn't i had 
opportunities at deer, but I was so, I was like, those are my first years hunting ever. So I didn't even know what to do. You know, the first year I ever saw was a doe under my tree and I couldn't believe it. it was the first year I ever saw in the wild from a tree. And I was like, holy shit, they exist. Here it is. Get my dad on the walkie talkie. There's a deer. He's like, well, put the walkie talkie down, pick up your gun. And I was like, by the time I did that, you know, the thing ran off, but I was so damn excited. You know, it, it was, it was just neat to experience that. I had more fun probably driving our, you know, at the time I think my dad was riding uh, or driving a, what was it? A Dodge Ram charger, the four barrel carb, 360 V8 or something like that. Oh, freaking tank. We'd take that in the logging roads. He'd be like, like, yeah, you, you take this and I'll, I'll meet you over here. I'm like, sweet. I get to drive this thing in a logging road. 16 loving life. That was the best, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's part of the memory. You're up in these areas. Constantly talking about it. Hal's constantly talking about his Ram Charger. We got to hear about his Ram Charger all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My dad, I drove like he loves that thing. some shit car throughout all of high school and it'd break down like every week. And my dad's like, well, you can take my Ram Charger to school. And I drove like 45 minutes one way to school. I went to a different district and stuff. And I remember putting 20 bucks a day in that effing thing. And the gas gauge never moved off empty. It's <laughs> like, holy yeah. crap. I, I think going back to what you were saying about the Wisconsin deer camp, I've always kind of, uh, um, in my mind thought it was, it was very similar out there to here. I, and I think it is, you know, the, uh, everyone in Maine has a camp and, and, you know, when deer season comes, they get their group together and they're off the camp mm-hmm. and, and it's all about the experience. You don't, you don't get that in many places, you know, the no. way you do in the, um, in the north no wisconsin minnesota michigan that's that's a a tradition you know it's it's passed on it's dwindling you know obviously though they say hunter numbers are up again i think with covid people are looking to rediscover something different but people don't have the land anymore you know the generation that hunted it and had camped there had sold it off to somewhere you know somebody else who maybe doesn't hunt or they just, they're one person or two people that hunt. So it's not as big as it was, but it sure is a, a very enjoyable tradition. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we all look forward to it every year, even though, um, you know, we guide, I, I'll, I usually guide, um, two weeks in November and then I'll, I'll hunt myself the other couple of weeks, a, a couple of years ago, um, I guided four weeks and it's, it's a grind. So I backed off that a little bit, but it's still, when you're out there hunting every day, um, it's hard to complain too much. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. It's hard to and come back to reality after that too. So. I bet you, you get done with then you're like, I got to check back in here. Ooh, geez. I'd have a tough time with that. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of our weeks here, we, we don't hunt on Sundays. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's always been that way. It's one of the old blue laws, but, um, so it's six days of hunting and, and Sunday, uh, you kind of look forward to it, you know, cause it's your little break from, from going all day long, but you know, and inevitably you get up the next morning, you can't wait to go do it again. So yeah, it's cool. Super fun. Well, just to be clear, you know, where obviously you guys have your own podcast, you have the lodging and the guiding and all that stuff. Where do you want to direct people to go check you guys out for those that may not know in our audience? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'd like everyone to check out uh, our podcast, Big Woods Bucks, if you're interested in in our kind of hunting and, and hunting the North Woods. We we focus mainly on tracking deer, but we get a lot into the moose thing 
if that's something you're interested in, um, because all of us are moose guides as well. Um, and then uh, my business is Lake Parlin Lodge. We're a you know year-round um, destination. We're on a lake, uh, hunting, fishing, snowmobiling, that sort of thing. So um, LakeParlinLodge.com and TheBigWoodsBucks.com. Lake, what is it? Lake Park? Parlin, P-A-R-L-I-N. Thank you. Uh, for- you got it. Yes, yeah, so I'll make sure people understood and got it clearly. Well, you know, Joe, thanks for jumping on with us tonight. I'm going to end the live broadcast, and then we'll stick around for just a moment to debrief, debrief with you. But everybody that tuned in and, and hung on with us throughout the whole episode and commented and things of that nature, thanks so much. Uh, as everyone knows, we produce the same night we record, so this will be in podcast land tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, I, and I really, I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to come on and, uh, and talk with you guys tonight. It was awesome. Thank you. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with Deer Vane, and this week's tip of the week is to plan for a shoot, a weekend shoot, multiple weekend shoots, or get out and use your equipment this summer. I certainly suggest it. I do it every year and I always wish I would have done it more, which is get out to a 3D archery shoot. You know, you're in you're in different positions under more pressure because other people are watching you. You're in different scenarios, different distances, different targets, and all that all those factors are are a lot like real hunting scenarios. You know, just shooting in your backyard, you can get really complacent with that and you can get really comfortable with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not there and you're in the woods and, and you're 20 feet up or 16 feet up or eight feet up. And the deer's at 23 yards, not at 20 on the dot. And he's at an odd angle and you got to rotate your body funny. All that kind of stuff plays into, you know, getting out and shooting tournaments and getting into uncomfortable situations over the summer where you can practice and really hone in your focus and your mental capability and staying in check and staying focused under that pressure. So it's a big tip. I always wish I do more. Um, I've got a couple on the schedule this year and I highly encourage you to do the same. All right. Hope it helps everyone. Thank you, Anthony, for another fantastic tip of the week. We appreciate it. And huge shout out to our guest, Joe Cruzy uh, with Big Woods Bucks. I I'm feeling like I really want to go to Maine. <laughs> Greg and I were chatting a bunch after we ended the recording, and um, wow, that really moved up to the top of the bucket list pretty quick for some interesting reasons. Uh, but, you know, in any event, we hope everyone enjoyed the show. I wanted to just jump on here and say I'm so sorry for those that are subscribed to the email for not getting that out this week. Whoops, just totally missed it. Uh, we'll get it running next week. No big deal. And up on deck on the podcast Tomorrow, we're going to guest on the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. And then next week, June 1st, SmackDown Outdoors is going to be on our podcast. So we're going to be talking with them. And then June 8th, which is the following, well, two weeks away, I guess, we're going to be talking with Bow Hunting League. And then I think we finally have, not like it's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but a bit of an opening here. So I know uh, we have a few folks that are tentatively uh, getting penciled in for middle of June and even into July. So, you know, we might just open it up to do a, a live call in episode and just talk to you know, our listeners if we don't land a guest, which is, you know, something I actually really like to do. So, uh, if you got any topics or guests you want to hear from or things you want to hear about, or if you want to be on the show, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. 
we always say it's a two-way conversation. We want to engage with our listeners as much as we possibly can, whether that's through email, through chat, through social, through the podcast itself. We're always happy to hear from everybody. So that's all we got this week. Nothing else too major. Running low on drop time spirits. <laughs> uh, as I look at this empty bottle. So that's it. I hope everyone has a great day and a great week and hunt public. <laughs> <laughs>